What's up? It's Andy Grammer with Jag. Hi, this is Carly Rae Jepsen, and you're listening to Jag. Hey, everybody. It's Joe Jonas hanging with Jag. This is Heather Knox with the hottest Jag I've ever seen. Ryan Seacrest with Jag. It's B.O.B. Checking in with my homie Jag. So much swag with my homie Jag. It's the Jag Show podcast. Really excited today to have with me ESPN's Senior Director of Digital Audio Programming, Mr. Peter Genesini. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really happy to have you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. We have the Syracuse connection. We'll get into that a little bit. If I had the rights to play the uh, Brass Bonanza from the Hartford Whalers on the podcast, I would have played that for you. But, you know, legal podcast issues and stuff like that. But of course. A lot to get into today. I want to ask you about your at-home Disney vacation. I want to ask you about the moment where you met your uh, sports idol and so much else. But let's start with the meat of it, which is ESPN and the digital audio podcasting, all the stuff that you are in charge of and have a hand in. If you can sort of start at the beginning, how did you and how did ESPN get into podcasting? Because you've always had a great audio footprint with ESPN radio and so much content. But how did that transition over to podcasting? I started with the radio group back in 97. So, of course, we've been at the ESPN radio business for a while. And, of course, we've been at the ESPN.com business. Just a few weeks ago, we celebrated our 25th anniversary of ESPN.com. Mm-hmm. And it only made sense to bring the two of those together. In fact, I wasn't involved with podcasting at the time. I was still on the radio side. Uh, we started podcasting more than a decade ago. Uh, the first couple original titles we put up, uh, Fantasy Focus Football, which is still going to this day. But really, it was built on taking existing ESPN shows and just migrating the audio and making them available on demand. Most noteworthy out of the gate was PTI, which is still a strong podcast for us. And then Mike and Mike and Colin Cowherd's radio show. Those were probably the three biggest podcast performers for us out of the gate. And it's just evolved over time. I've been with the podcast team now for five years. So that is a lot of the radio model is taking what a lot of radio morning shows would do on the music side, which is to just take uh, the content and repurpose it into a different medium and have it be on demand. But then at some point, in addition to all the great programming, ESPN has some original content that must started too, right? Yeah, and it it really started with just sport verticals. Very literally, the titles were Baseball Today, Football Today, Hockey Today, Basketball Today, almost all daily podcasts. And it was really our first foray into just divvying up the conversation into sports-specific shows. And then over time, while still doing that, bringing in some personality-based shows. So Bomani Jones has a show. Katie Nolan has a show. You know, Adam Schefter has a show and others down the line that they weren't just the stick and ball shows that we do, which is divvying up the sports fandom, but also allowing people you want to hear from being able to stretch their legs and do some different things in the audio space. So when it comes to podcasting, obviously the technical side of it is huge. And more importantly, in a lot of cases, is the content side. How in a management role where you are now, what do you look for in a host that will translate well into a podcast on the content side? Boy, that's interesting. I mean, it, the cop-out answer is case by case, but I'll make that make sense in a second. Okay. It's, you know, if you're going to run point on a sports-specific show, then you better know that sport a heck of a lot better than I do or the audience does, you know, so on and so forth. And, and one of the things that has really worked is me and my team have partnered with the people the company hires to be experts in those areas. So our core NBA shows, for example, Low Post with Zach Lowe, The Woj Pod, The Hoop Collective, the 
editorial leaders of basketball coverage for ESPN are involved in those podcasts. They know basketball better than I do. They'll know the right questions to ask guests, so on and so forth. And me and my team will work with them to make it sound as good as we can, put the right packages together to maybe make a couple bucks off of it, and then, of course, promote it accordingly. In terms of talent, anybody who is interested in doing this because they think it's easy, I'm less interested in. And most of our podcast talent are hosts where the podcast is their side job at ESPN. Mm -hmm. They either have a role covering games, play-by-play, they have a studio show, they have their own radio show, and then the podcast is sort of their side gig, right? So sometimes when something is treated as their side gig, that's the amount of time and attention they give it. And I'm only interested if the person is able to have that conversation to take feedback, plan ahead for an interview, understand that we're going to need to edit what they're doing, understand that there's copy reads involved, you know, all the pieces that come with podcasting if it were just a standalone business, even though the podcast may just be part of what their responsibilities are for the company. And this is something you alluded to when you spoke in Syracuse at our alumni reunion before every the world went topsy-turvy about right. a month and a half ago, is I'd imagine, and I'm certainly not going to ask you to throw anybody under the bus, but you're more interested in working with a content creator at ESPN if they kind of get the whole podcasting thing as opposed to it being one more thing on the do list if they're willing to really go into it and spend the time with it as you said the skill set that applies to a marquee television show or appearing on let's say sports center where you're talking in sound bites is a very different environment than hosting a podcast and i'll use an example here that i think is a pretty good one is when adam schefter came to us about doing his podcast and Mm -hmm. this applies to woge as well what they do in their podcast is a very different approach than what they do on television. You know, Woj is known for the Woj bombs and his tweets, and then he does a quick hit on SportsCenter to talk about what he just tweeted about. Well, the podcast is he'll spend a half an hour with somebody. Right. That's a side of Woj that you see only in the podcast that you don't see anywhere else in the ESPN environment. Adam Schefter doing a prolonged interview with a football coach or a football player uh, is not something you see him do on NFL Live or SportsCenter when he comes on a radio show. So what I'm most interested in is even if I have a talent who works across different shows, that when Dan Lebitard does the South Beach sessions, how is that different than what he's doing on the radio every day or what he's doing on television every day? And if the answer is it's not very different, then maybe it's not something we should be doing. So those are the types of questions I ask when we're at the sort of pitch idea or the idea generation idea of launching a new podcast. So when you mentioned pitches, which is more frequent? Are the podcast team coming to talent saying, hey, we think you got a great idea for a podcast? Or is it the personality coming to you guys and saying, you know, I'm doing my thing on sports or I'm doing my thing on all these other shows, but I'd like to do my own podcast. Do they come to you or do you go to them or is it a mix of both? Both definitely happen. I would say right now, we're getting pitched more than we're asking others to do shows because hmm. our volume is pretty high right now in terms of number of titles that we have going. But there's great examples of where both have happened or you sort of meet in the middle where someone's like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing one. Maybe I'm doing one, but I don't have time. And once we smell blood in the water, then we pounce on them, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, think, I think Van Pelt would be the first to say that I wouldn't say we dragged him back into it, but we coaxed him back into it, and he's really good at it and enjoys it. It's just a matter of making it work in a way for a guy who's already profoundly busy at the company 
that we don't just assume, oh, this means he's going to be in the office three more hours a week. So how can we schedule when he records, where he records, how he records in a way that aligns with everything else the company is asking him to do? And we've done a pretty good job of that. You can kind of come to somebody and say, oh, when I have time when, you know, now, well, there's no games on. But that leads me to my next question, which is there are no games on. So is finding that content for podcasting a struggle? How has that evolved in this sports abyss that we're kind of in right now? Yeah, we've tried a number of different things. So one approach, which I think has worked really well, is Buster only in baseball tonight. And he just used the time to reach into his you know, bag of contacts and do some really cool interviews. So we did mm-hmm. a full week that was manager's week, and we talked to five current or former managers. And then we did Hall of Famers week, and you grab Johnny Bench, and you grab George Brett, and guys like that, and tell stories. This week, we're doing general manager's week, where we talk to guys about either how these big deals they made came together, or sort of the one that got away. And we're looking to get some current stars next week. So it gives us a completely different approach to just get people on and tell stories, you know, that and particularly if you're a fan of a particular individual or their team that you're interested in. Basketball, candidly, we're just sort of following what's going on, right? So I was listening today to the Hoop Collective about what the G League is doing and some of the players that are going there and what are the overseas leagues doing and what are the prospects of playing again. So you're very much following the news. And if we're not doing that, we've got this neat little Michael Jordan documentary you might have heard about that we're creating content around that's helping us as well. And in football, really, it's uninterrupted. The draft is going as scheduled, and our conversation around the NFL is pretty much the same as it would have been. You know, a little bit of a deviation, obviously, with what's going on in the world. So a shorter answer to your question is it depends upon the sport. Our personality-based shows are humming along, and the the audience seems to be hanging around. People have time on their hands to listen. I think the listening patterns are thrown off. You're not necessarily seeing morning drive being an anchor position where people are listening, right? As the morning commute goes away, the morning trip to the gym goes away, maybe somebody's listening on their mid-afternoon walk instead or, or while they're cleaning their house or avoiding their kids or spouse. Um, <laughs> you know, so the patterns are different, but the listening is there and the approach very much varies depending on the subject matter. I'm glad to hear you say that because that's something that I've covered in previous episodes is this shift in listening. Like you said, they're not listening in the morning, but maybe they're waiting for the kids to go to bed or the kids not to be tying up all their internet you know, with virtual school or FaceTiming their friends and that sort of thing. So you have seen that also in the numbers that people are, it may not necessarily be down or up, but when they're listening is different? Yes, I've seen that. And I would also say in terms of sports listening, that the casual sports fan might not be jumping on podcasts as much as they were, but the diehards that we have that listen a lot are listening to even more episodes. They're listening more frequently. So the total number of people is down a little bit as a result of this, but the people who are still hanging with us are listening more than they were, if that makes sense. Do you find people going back and listening to old episodes if they stumble upon a show they really like or a host they really like? For the shows where that makes sense, sure. You know, you're not going to go back to listen to week seven of a fantasy podcast from last year because the content's dated. But for our storytelling shows or our interview-based shows, we're definitely seeing some of that. We all wish sports could be back tomorrow, and, I, and I'm going to ask you for some predictions in a minute. But the benefit is, you mentioned this a little bit with the podcasting, is, you know, like you said uh, with Buster Olney, there might be opportunity to put out content that we normally wouldn't be able to hear 
in the normal flow of the seasons. And in some ways, a benefit, I would think. Yeah, not only content that we would be able to hear, but content that we would be able to create because some of the guests that we've been chasing that are hard to nail down, what are they going to tell us? They're busy? <laughs> Perfect example, Marty Smith's podcast, he had been wanting to have Ken Burns on for some time. Ken was amenable to doing it, but we couldn't make schedules work, mostly because Marty's schedule is so crazy. He covers so many events. He travels so much for us. And we got to a point where Marty's home, Ken's probably home. Let's do this. And we finally secured the interview and had a really nice conversation in it. So the opportunity to book guests and schedule people to come on, because we're all not busy, has helped out for those you know interview-based shows. So as I sit here in my uh, basement studio and you sit there in the bedroom in your house, how has it been from a technical side getting these guests on? Has it been a lot of phone? Has it been a lot of online? Has it been a struggle to make the quality sound good? It's funny. uh, When I saw you in Syracuse, that was the first weekend in March. We had already begun an assessment of what types of equipment different talent and producers had in their home and started Mm. filling gaps so that... After I saw you, I think it was that Monday, I was in the office and we were like, okay, who's got software? Who's got microphones? Who doesn't? What does people need? And we started you know, plugging holes in our lineup that by the time we got to the end of that week, it was literally Friday the 13th was my last day in the office. Wow. All of my producers were equipped with technology to record from home. In some cases, two or three different kinds because the different talent we had had different capabilities. Different platforms, okay. Right. So for example, and those who produce podcasts or or work in the audio business will get this, we had a bunch of talent with Comrexes, had microphones with XLR outputs, which didn't do them any good to plug it into a laptop to use the. So we had to get adapters. Right. And with all the different things ESPN was chasing around, our technology team and purchase orders and so on and so forth, I just grabbed my wife's Amazon account, went on and ordered three mic adapters, and I called Woj, and I said, you're going to get something from Julie. Please open it as soon as you get it, because it's the way we're going to do the podcast. So once we did that, everybody was equipped with different types of high-end technologies and even just simple person-to-person, really depending on the complexity of the podcast. Is it a three-person show, a two-person show? Do we need to be able to take a phone call on it or not? So really, it's been a little all of the above. I find that people tend to be more forgiving now with the understanding that everybody's kind of working from home and sometimes throwing a bucket of spaghetti at the wall to try to see what sticks. You know, I think about here in Detroit, one of the uh, local newscasts here, the anchor is in the studio and his co-anchor, she's at home and it looks like she's in her dining room with iPod headphones (laughs) on. And it's kind of like, well... It's the world we live in right now. I'm not going to say new normal because I feel like that's a cliche and right. I'll take a shot every time somebody says new normal. But I find that the audience is a little bit more forgiving. Have, do you have any uh, insight on that? Yeah, our first pass is how do we get everybody on? And then we took a listen and said, okay, we've got a few shows here where we need to do better. Okay. In fact, on my list today is a few people where I'm like, whatever microphone they're on, it isn't good enough. And what can we get them? Because at some point, people are going to notice, hey, this one sounds a lot better and this one sounds really terrible. And all right, we're now like six weeks into this. Can't they get this guy a a better deal? So your point is well taken. There's patience to a point. (laughs) Okay, I like that. So you mentioned a minute ago the Michael Jordan documentary and and full confession, I have a DVR from last night. I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to watch the first uh, couple episodes on the treadmill tomorrow morning. No spoilers. Finally gives me the motivation to get on the treadmill. So thank you for that. 
what has been the reaction early on to ESPN and this Michael Jordan stuff? Because I know we're craving sports. And to go back to a time that we remembered, you know, I was born in 1980, probably the first athlete in my lifetime that was so transcendent above right. everybody else that I can remember. What's been the, re- is it nostalgia? Is it, how has the audience received it? I think it's all, I think it's all of the above. You know, first it was funny because people were just randomly saying, boy, you know, ESPN should move this up because they were originally going to air it in concert with the NBA finals, which would have been first week of June. And really, it couldn't fail. Like, we've all got nothing else to do, right? See also Tiger King. Yes, right. And it was so it was sort of a no brainer to move this up. And then I think for different people, it means different things. I mean, if you were a Bulls fan at the time, like it's one thing, right? And social media was really fun to watch last night. You had people who put their Jordan kicks on and put their feet up in front of the TV and took pictures of that. You had people who were anti Bulls fans, either who were fans of the bad boy Pistons or or the Lakers or whatever they were. And even people were just looking for good quality storytelling. So you saw people come out from all different corners with their own stories to tell. But the neat thing is, is most of the content in this, and not to just be a promotional shill for a minute, but I'll be a promotional <laughs> shill for a minute. You have full permission to do so. This is stuff we haven't seen before. Like this is, you know, Michael Jordan and the Bulls let a film crew follow them around that whole season. And it literally sat in a vault from then until now. Any idea why? Because it wasn't decided to be time yet. Um, well, the story that's out there that Ramona Shelburne tells is Michael Jordan wasn't ready to have the story be told. Hmm. And the day the Cavaliers were having their championship parade was the day he agreed to let's move forward and do this. I have no idea if those two things have anything to do with one another, but that's when, hey, enough time has passed. We're ready to tell the story now. Let's start putting this together and, and let's do this. So the access piece is what I think makes this so particularly noteworthy to have an athlete at that level agree to that kind of access, which would never happen today is, and and I think it's something that a lot of us didn't even know existed until recently. So yeah, it's a perfect storm. So when I saw you in Syracuse, Pete, again, it was the first weekend in March and I put you on the spot and made you put your amazing Kreskin hat on and asked you where uh, Tom Brady was going to go. And I think you nailed it if memory serves. I'm pretty sure you did say Tampa when I asked you. If you say that's the case and you say I was right, I'm, I'm going to believe it. Well, now that you've well predicted that, I'm going to ask you to put your predictor hat back on. Oh. And now with the disclaimer that nobody knows what's going to happen with the coronavirus right. and where things are going to go and timeline and everything – do you see from where you sit any sports coming back in the fall? And I know it's a really hard thing to ask, but empty stadiums with camera crews. I mean, do you have any thoughts on what this might look like or if we're just going to forget the whole thing until 2021? Uh, it, it's uh, There's no inside information here. I am certainly not of a high enough level where I'm in the inner circles with ESPN to know sort of what the leagues are thinking and what they're doing other than what's been publicly announced, right? So mm-hmm. UFC fully plans on moving forward with a fight in May okay, in an empty arena somewhere, private island or whatever the situation is. <laughs> the PGA Tour has announced that they're coming back in June. Yep, they're going to do the uh, Rocket Mortgage Classic here in Detroit with no fans, they announced. Yep. Yeah, and the, and the Traveler Stop in Connecticut as well. So we know that barring something unforeseen, we're going to get UFC in May. We're going to get golf in June. And what does that mean for baseball, which, you know, baseball, basketball, and you read a number of articles that I think are more wishful thinking than fact-based. Mm-hmm. Yahoo did an article like, what if we just move the whole NBA to Disney World? The empty hotels are there. They've got the wide world of sports complex. And you start being like, yeah, but, or we're going to move all the baseball teams to Arizona. 
yeah, but, you know, it sounds like a great idea. When are we all healthy enough to go out? That's what I want to know. Um, yeah. I think there's a path to playing games in empty stadiums. And I think given how sports starved we are, we'll take it if that's all we can get. Yeah. But for me, who's grown up a Yankee fan, I'm looking forward to watching the Yankees in Yankee Stadium with the Yankee fans. I'm far less interested in watching the Yankees play the Phillies in Clearwater in a Grapefruit League Northern Division clash. You know, <laughs> I'm one that falls in the camp of let's get healthy first and let's make sure it makes sense rather than chicken wire and duct taping together and calling it sports. Fair enough. So you mentioned Disney World a minute ago. I have to ask you about this. I saw privately that you were supposed to go on a Disney trip with your family, and obviously that can't happen right now. So you brought Disney to the house there in Connecticut. As a family, we're very much a Disney family, and we were actually supposed to run one of the Run Disney races this past weekend, Mm -hmm. the Star Wars 5K. So the first decision we made is, well, we're running it anyway. So we got up and we did it locally in our neighborhood and some of our neighbors were cheering us on, so on and so forth, which was really, really cool. And then we decided we're just going to do the whole the whole Disney trip and we sort of jerry-rigged our own rides and wore funny hats and stuff like that and, and had a lot of fun with it. And it was really just, you know, like everybody else, whatever gets you through the day, through the week to pass the time. If you're fortunate enough to be in a place where mm-hmm. you and yours are healthy and obviously have the important things figured out, your home, your health, you're getting your food from where you need to get it and all those things, uh, then you have time to worry about things like spoiled vacations, so on and so forth. But to keep it light, to keep the children engaged and interested, one thing I found, whether it's in my own house or friends of ours, man, these kids are far more resilient than I would ever give them credit for, Yeah, given this scenario. I think about me at eight and nine year old, what a nightmare I'd be in a circumstance such as this. I probably would have tried every 80s WWF move out on my brother, you know, (laughs) six times over uh, and and found myself grounded longer than whatever the uh, time of the pandemic is. But you do what you can try to keep it light. You know, our, our goals were try to find something fun every day, try and learn something every day and maybe even get something done around the house. I was joking. There's a closet door as you walk in my house that when we bought the house, my wife said she hated it and wanted it replaced. That was 17 years ago. (laughs) And I finally got it done. There's a new closet door up. So what am I going to say? I'm too busy. Right. I did enjoy the test track uh, ride with your garage door opening and the kids coming out. I thought that was pretty clever. A little bit slower than the real thing was, uh, you know, we got our fast pass and we got on and off safely and look forward to the day. I mean, that's, I mean, there's, there's another thing like for as crowded as those places are and this and the line snaking to get on, like there's so much to get figured out. That's a place where as much as we're dying to get back there, we'll, we'll get there when the time's right. Yeah, I had a trip planned with some friends potentially to Vegas this fall because we all turned 40 this year. And we haven't canceled it yet, but we're kind of like, okay, how is this going to work? Are we actually going to do that? The other funny story that I wanted to ask you about, and, and we told so many stories uh, in Syracuse last month, but right. you know, me having a music background, uh, when I was in radio, the one time that I completely, I'll say it, fangirled was when I got to meet Steven Tyler and Joe Perry from Aerosmith because mm. I'm from Boston. They're my favorite band growing up. 
And we did a meet and greet backstage at the palace where I was like, you had to get one of those like little kid backpack leashes so that my then friend, now wife, could reel me in and make sure I didn't run down the stairs and cut off the people that had paid six hundred dollars for their meet and greet tickets. And you know, and I was right. what do I say to Steven Tyler when I when I meet Steven Tyler and we get down there, it's Steven and Joe. Joe did not say two words the entire time. He did not want to be there. But Steven was the nicest guy in the world. I met him and I said, Hey, I said, Thank you for writing a song about every girl my best friend or I dated in high school. And, and he laughed. And um, and I was so relieved that one of these heroes of mine was a nice guy. And you had told me a great story about meeting your childhood hero as a Yankees fan. Can you give me the, the abridged version of that? No, absolutely. So, so I started ESPN in 97. By 99, I was on the field getting sprayed by champagne when the Yankees won the World Series. So I'm not even into the job two years, and it's like, now what? Yeah. Like, that was the pinnacle for me. Right. So fast forward, 2003, I get sent to the Major League Baseball All-Star Game in Houston. At that point, it's another work trip. And before I leave, I complain to my wife, Houston in July, it's going to be 140 degrees, right. so on and so forth. So I, I fly down there on Sunday, and we're going out to dinner with some clients at a great steak restaurant by the ballpark. And we sort of have a private room. There's a big table for us, and there's a small table off in the other corner. And one of the clients, her husband, is sitting next to me, and he's this huge Met fan. He's got his Mets jersey on, and he's just on me about, what's it like to work with Dan Patrick? What's it like to work with Chris Berman? What's it yeah. like to work with Stuart Scott? I'm like, well, first of all, I don't work with any of those guys. I work with Mike and Mike and other talent. But uh, the times I have worked with them, they're great. And he's like, oh, you guys meet celebrities all the time. It's got to be – and I'm just not having it. I'm not in the mood. It was a bad day. And, and I'm like, I can't tell you the last time I've met somebody where I've just gotten excited. Like it's really just part of the job. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. as I say those words, Donald Arthur Mattingly and his two children walk through the door and <laughs> sit at that little vacant table on the other side of the room. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's Don Mattingly. And everybody at the room knows I'm a big Yankee fan. They're like, Pete. I'm like, I know. Shh. Well, are you going to go over and say hi? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to bother him while he's over having dinner with his two sons. Exactly. And they're like, how do you know those are his two sons? I'm like, I know those are his two sons. <laughs> so we get back to our conversation, and I step out of the room for a minute to go use the restroom. And little do I know that while I'm away, one of the women at our table walked over to his table and said something like the following. I'm not sure who you are, but the guy in the empty chair over there is losing his mind that you're here. And when he comes back, it would be super cool if you had any time to come over and say hello. So I don't know any of this at the time. So I sit down in my chair and I'm just chatting around the room. And all of a sudden I get tapped on the shoulder and I look up and a gentleman puts his hand out to shake my hand and says, hi, Don Mattingly, to which I respond, I know like, it, was, <laughs> it was that bad, right? And he's like, hey, we're just chatting baseball over here. Want to come over and join us? And I'm like, okay. And I just wow. glare at the table and they're all laughing like that. And I go over to the table and we talked 10 minutes or so, talking baseball, talking the Yankees. He was there with the Yankees because this, I'm sorry, this is the 04 All Star game because they had played in the 03 World Series. The Yankees were coaching and managing the, the All Star team. Mm -hmm. And, um, Great conversation, no autographs, no pictures, no BS, just an amazing experience. Go over to my table and sit down. And now everybody's all over me. Oh, I don't get excited. And justifiably <laughs> so. Like I'm getting I'm getting murdered on this. So we wrap up and we're leaving the room. 
and we're going down the stairs and I say to the guy next to me who, who was really riding me at this point and I had to take it. Right. Yeah. And I says, you don't understand. This is the one guy. Like I grew right. up, I played first base in high school, number 23, the whole thing. It's the one guy walking the face of the planet that would have walked through that door and gotten that reaction. And as I'm saying this at the bottom of the stairs coming up as I'm walking down is Derek Jeter. <laughs> and we're kind of in each other's way and we look at each other and make eye contact and this guy next to me is now laughing even harder. And I look at Derek and I say, love you, not today. And I walked right past him, walked past Alex Rodriguez and out the door into the, into the street. You literally pulled the Costanza went out on the high note. And I did not take it for granted since that day. Like it's a job like everybody else's job, right? To your point. The music business, it wasn't every day you met Steven Tyler. It's not like the next Thursday was Springsteen and then the next yeah. week it was, you know, Bon Jovi. Like, like some days are just bad days at the office, right? Every job has that. But after that day, I didn't take that opportunity, whether it was meeting a, you know, a, a person that was important to you at some point in your life or attending a really cool sporting event. And you may even see, I threw up on Facebook the other day, I randomly went to an LA Kings-Pittsburgh Penguins game when I was in LA a few weeks ago. Short notice decision. I went by myself, mm -hmm. and I so appreciate sitting at a hockey game with a beer. I mean, I would love to have that back right now. And I don't, It doesn't need to be Gretzky. It could, I, just, I just love to go to a game, right? So I appreciate you letting me tell that story again. And, uh, and yeah, it was really fun. It really has given us some perspective, everything over the last few months. Um, last question I want to ask you, and thank you so much. You've been so generous with your time today. I appreciate it. How do you see podcasts and radio having had experience in both? How do you see them existing and or competing, coexisting and or competing going forward? You certainly are competing for talent. I'll circle back to that. Where I think they coexist is... Radio always has breaking news. Yeah. If you stay in the audio genre, set, set aside TV, set aside Twitter, radio always has breaking news. And it's the worst example to give, but it was a Sunday when we got the word that Kobe Bryant had tragically died along with his daughter and those other families in, in the helicopter accident. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of us ran into the office. And even though my job title was podcasting, we were chipping in on the live on the air coverage because that's where it needed to be at that point. There, was, mm -hmm. there wasn't anything a podcast could do, I would argue, on that Sunday at all and maybe even halfway through Monday that would do justice to what was an evolving story. Like You needed to have a little bit of distance to then have a conversation about and, – and we did that, right? So the next day we had big-name guests on and we had analysis from people who knew them and everything that came with it. But radio's place is in a breaking news scenario, right? Or let's go even lighthearted, a big upset in a basketball game, right? Right yeah. as that game is ending or you're listening to the game live on the radio, like podcasting can't do that. But they can give you a much greater level of detail the next day because, a, you know, a, a radio show, someone might tune in halfway through a conversation. So you have to reset. You have to bring them up to speed about what you're talking about. And then you have to move on to another topic because someone might get bored. All those things we learned at Syracuse. Yeah, but in an NBA podcast, like the person who came through the door knew what they signed up for. So you could break down the zone or you could get into recruiting or you could get into the Sacramento Kings in a way that maybe you can't do that on terrestrial radio, right? Because the, the broad interest isn't there. Mm -hmm. So the two complement each other really well. Where I think the biggest competition is, is talent. And what you'll find is the talent who would have done a three-hour-a-day talk show five days a week, 
either isn't available or isn't interested in doing 15 hours of content a week. They're more interested in doing two. Hmm. So when you provide a in-demand, high-priced, um, high-volume talent with an option and they say, well, I could tape the podcast whenever I want. I could do it in the morning. I could do it at night. I could do it on the go. I don't necessarily have to come to a radio station for four hours every day the same four hours and have to do a show even if I don't feel like doing it that day or it's a slow news day and it's the Mount Rushmore season of sports radio and I'll give a great example of that and this is not to at all do a disservice of what he was on the radio because he was really good at it but Ryan Rosillo when he was doing radio every day for us and I've said this to him that you knew when the subject matter was something he was profoundly interested in and when it was a game he watched the night before or something he thought was funny or interesting or compelling or when it was just day seven of Deflategate, and it was the topic that you needed to talk about that day, right? And when he moved into the podcast space first with us, and now what he's doing with The Ringer is next-level spectacular work because you only have to do shows around the stuff that you care about or you're interested in and not what necessarily is newsworthy at 2 o'clock on a Thursday. So I could see why for some talent the podcast medium is – far more interesting to them and there are still talent who i think thrive in the live environment like they love taking calls they love the unpredictability of it and the day-to-day of it so so Mm -hmm. i think there's room for both but i think that talent pool there's a little bit of a tug of war between the podcast platform and the radio platform um that is is evolving before us that is maybe the best analysis I've heard of all the uh, trade stuff that I read about, you know, radio is dead or radio is not dead or podcasting is going to kill radio or nobody listens to the radio anymore. I think that is really a spot on analysis. Peter Ginesini, Senior Director, Digital Audio Programming, ESPN. I can't thank you enough for being so generous with your time today. Really appreciate the chat. Stay safe, you and your family down there in Connecticut. Likewise. Great to catch up with you, John. <laughs> 